Hello, everybody. This is Dan Woods, and today we're going to do another episode of the Designing Enterprise Platforms podcast that we've been doing here at Early Adopter Research. We have a really interesting topic today that is pandemic related. It's all about what are the key internal usability metrics for understanding the productivity impact of the pandemic. We have with us Brian Burns. He's the CEO of NOAA, K-N-O-A. It's a company that focuses on tracking uh, metrics about you know, the user experience and usability. And they have got a service in which they can track and have hundreds of thousands of users being tracked. And they've noticed a lot of interesting things going on with the workforce during the pandemic. So I thought it'd be a great idea to have Brian come on and talk to us about that. So Brian, hello, really happy to have you. Hi, Dan, thank you. Pleasure being here with you. Well, what I'd like you to do is we're gonna get into you know, the, the idea about the pandemic first, but I wanna make sure that everybody understands the unique perspective that you have. Could you explain a little bit about your history and about the history of NOAA and what kind of product it is and how it's given you a window on what's going on with the workforce during the pandemic? Certainly, thank you. Uh, so my background, I've, I've been a uh, uh, in in the software business for a couple decades. Um, combination of uh, entre entrepreneurial as well as corporate world. So I, I founded several companies, uh, thankfully successfully. Uh, and um, Noah is a very interesting uh, solution. Uh, the company's been around for about fifteen years. Uh, and uh, we're New York based. Um, and it's interesting when you when you you refer to user experience, and we all understand user experience from actually our our shopping experiences online. Uh, we all understand that our behavior is being tracked and analyzed on these e-commerce sites. The most typical ones are, you put something in your shopping cart and then the vendor will recommend, you know, people who bought this product also bought that product. But actually uh, the analysis and the analytics are much more uh, deep than that. They're looking at all of your behavior on the site. Where, how did you get to the site? Uh, what pages are you on? How long are you pages? How long are you spending on a page? What is the, the order of uh, information and content that you're viewing? And essentially they're trying to understand and predict your behavior so they can recommend the most relevant and interesting content or products to you. Now, what we do is something similar in the corporate world. Uh, we work with large organizations. You, men you mentioned hundreds of thousands of users, it's actually millions of users. Uh, and what happens in the corporate world is these organizations uh, use these uh, large enterprise software systems uh, from SAP or Oracle. These systems are essentially running these, these companies uh, from inventory to billing, order tracking, customer service, call center, finance. And if you can imagine you know, companies with tens of thousands of users interacting with these systems, uh, there, you can gain a lot of insight into employee productivity, efficiencies, et cetera. And that, that's what we do. We've been doing this now for 15 years. We have some of the largest organizations in the world as our customers from um, Unilever, Nestle, Johnson & Johnson, government agencies. Uh, we have users around the world um, and actually SAP resells our product 
NOAA User Experience Management is the name of the product. Um, cross industry, so you know every industry has large numbers of employees who are engaged with these software systems. And the real question is, uh, companies, after they invest tens of millions of dollars into these systems, are, are they effective? Are my employees efficient? How do you know that? How would you know that? For example, you know, we, we've all interacted with software systems that are not intuitive. You look at a screen, you're like, what? Where am I supposed to click? What, what's next? If you have organizations with tens of thousands of employees, you can appreciate that inefficiencies, um, user interfaces that are not intuitive, getting lots of error messages, you know, have, it has a significant impact on productivity. So, and then just from a tactical point of view, NOAA, it's as if NOAA is sort of like a a screen sort of scraper or a screen, you know, kind of metrics thing. It can tell basically when you put it in a system, every, you know, click that you make, every form that you fill, every navigation move you make, it gives you a full set of metrics. So you can really understand everything that people are doing with the enterprise software. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, it, it, it's, um, you could say screen scraper, but, and actually we're looking at the underlying workflow. Um, so we can, we understand the order of screens. So for example, why does it take Mary 12 screens to ship a product, but it takes Mark 18 screens? What's going on there? And actually, how would you know that? That's the important question. You could have employees who are struggling. They may not volunteer that they're having a challenge. They may getting, be getting a lot of error messages, which you know impact their concentration, their ability to complete a task. Got it. So now this is really cool. So now this, because you're a system that uses the cloud, because you collect all this data, it's like you have this massive data warehouse of user experience information. Now I know that you've got this all segregated so that you know one company can't see another company's uh, uh, information, but you're able to see all of it as uh, you know Noah the company, and you've been able to see a, a lot of things that have been going on during the pandemic. And so this provides a real hands-on data-based way to get insights about the impact of the pandemic. So what is have you seen as the impact of the pandemic on uh, workforce productivity, you know, based on your internal data set? Uh, that's right. We um, actually had a front row and have a front row to how organizations respond uh, to the challenge of having people work from home. And I'll jump ahead, you know, how do you return your employees back to the office? Uh, but let, let's start with when the pandemic hit. Uh, the, the challenge was companies had little, if any, time to prepare. And so as, as we all experienced, almost overnight, people were required to work from home. So the question is, number one, could they even access these systems? Uh, number two, do this, did the systems work the same way when accessed remotely as they do when the people are in the office? For example, perhaps due to privacy, compliance, other considerations, certain software components or data uh, is not accessible when you're access, accessing it remotely. Uh, what we saw is initially com companies scram scrambled with connectivity. 
ensuring that their employees had the resources that they need, needed to be effective and access these systems. So um, we saw across the board, you know, across hundreds of companies, uh, which ones were more prepared than others? Because uh, you could imagine a, a, a graph and you see activity and all of a sudden it drops, drops off significantly. And then you could see, okay, companies that were able to get the equipment and the connectivity software out to their employees, they were back up more quickly than others. And so we saw some very interesting trends and patterns uh, and companies continue to analyze the effectiveness, uh, the engagement of their employees. You know, are my people able to work uh, from a systems point of view? Are they able to work perhaps from an interpersonal uh, point of view? And we, we can get into that in, in more detail. Well, did you find any patterns about the, the, the nature of the companies that were better prepared or the nature of the companies or the things that were, were, were missing that, that stopped the companies from being prepared? Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, you know, one company I can mention my name is uh, TGS, the largest gas transportation company in Latin America. Um, and look, these companies need to operate. You know, and, and that that organization uh, was was prepared, and you know they were able to respond to the users' need to access these systems. We dealt with a large pharmacy also in Latin America. Challenges with distribution, enabling the the, the pharmacies to open, and um, with support from people from home. We work with a large distributor in the United States. And as we all saw the challenges of getting essential food, medicine, other supplies out to the, the general population. Uh, so yeah, it, it, you know, the companies that, as we say, are you know, essential services, uh, they generally had the contingency plans you know, well formulated beforehand. Got it. So it was really a matter of planning for this eventuality and having the the you know ability to deliver the key interfaces through other means and also having the capacity. Because one of the things that I noticed happened is a lot of people had VPN infrastructure, but it was only for a small number of people who were expected right. to use it. And then when they when they expanded it to a large number of people, it just you know it was over flooded and everything uh, you know stopped working properly. So now you actually dug in deeper to this data, and you have also as just part of NOAA's a general uh, help uh, for people to understand productivity and efficiency. You you have sort of a set of metrics. Um, you know, we talked to them about them when we prepared for this podcast. You know, the, the metrics that you mentioned were idle time, task and transaction completion times, error messages, and engagement. And you said if you look at those four things, you can tell a lot about how well a company is working. Um, would you explain? You know, what you can what what each one of them just go through the list and explain what each one of them does uh, tell you when you analyze sure. it. Sure. So idle time uh, is an interesting metric. Let's say uh, you have thousands of people uh, looking to complete a transaction, ship a product, for example. There are ten steps, and we see a pattern that after step four, there's a pause. So people are clicking, clicking along. And then all of a sudden, there's a pause after a certain screen. Why do they all pause at the same, at, at the same point in the transaction? So there's something that's 
affected all these all these employees. So we have to look at the user interface. Perhaps the screen there is not intuitive. Perhaps my users are getting an error at that point. Perhaps uh, the workflow is not efficient. So you could go in and you can rectify, look to rectify that, that issue. And then you use our software to verify that the course of action actually was effective. Yes, the user interface wasn't intuitive. We modified it. And now people, after step four, they're just clicking along to step five, step six, et cetera. Now let's say idle time is not consistent. Let's say I look across my employees and I see idle time is increasing. What does that tell you? That tells you perhaps your employees are just not as engaged. And that's understandable in, in the era of the pandemic where people have you know, different challenges in their environment. It could be in a multi-generational um, home. So you have distractions, worrying about you know, your, your, your elder relatives, uh, dealing with, with children and homeschooling. And so people get distracted. On the other hand, you can have people who are self-isolated, you know, alone, and that has the other, other associated challenges. So, you know, we get a sense of the overall engagement of your workforce. Now, so it's so 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 just let's let's stay with idle time for just a second. So the idea here is um, that you you can look at it both on a sort of individual micro system level where you're you're looking at the whole how is the flow of the whole system. But then you can also look at it on a macro level saying like, is idle time increasing just generally? So like, you know, did everybody like, you know, during the World Series in 1968, you know, you certainly wouldn't want to, you know, where the Detroit Tigers were in, in, in the World Series, you probably wouldn't want to bought a car that was being made you know, <laughs> while the World Series was on. And you would have probably seen a massive, you know, kind of secular uh, disengagement if you could measure it. Um, right. And so the, does anybody actually do that? Keep track of like, you know, this, this on a, like a sort of like a, the pulse of the workforce sort of a level. Uh, yeah, certainly, certainly. And I just wanted to make one point. Most of not all of our customers are not looking at the individual employee behavior. This isn't really um, look, it, it, spying on employees. You know, you're not getting the value of the software when you look at an individual, the real return is when you look at thousands, the behavior of thousands of employees. And most of our cu uh, customers anonymize the data to ensure privacy, et cetera. So I just wanted to make that point. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, idle time and and is, is important. If you look at um, actually, you know, the, the world of HR, uh, has certainly transitioned over the past couple of decades from you know, dealing with recruitment and benefits to now focus on the holistic health of the organization. Um, you know, are my people satisfied? Are they stimulated? Are they engaged? You know, you want to ensure that you retain your people. And, you know, if you put your people in front of software that is frustrating, that is clunky, that seems antiquated, you're going to have a challenge keeping your people because for a lot of employees, the software is their work environment and you can have a nice cafe and great benefits, but if they're sitting for six hours, eight hours in front of software, that's frustrating for them. Uh, you will see a lot of idle time. Um, also, you can look at different uh, 
work patterns, we've seen some of our customers have noticed um, increased usage on weekends. So with, you know, with people working from home, there's some more flexibility with your, your work time. So uh, people obviously without the commute, but overlaid with you know, challenges with homeschooling, et cetera, we're seeing a lot more flex time sort of it, people are obviously making that decision themselves. Oh, I'll put the kids to bed and I'll go back and work for a couple hours, or I'm going to spend three hours on a Saturday catching up on the work. Thing also a type of really interesting um, flexibility with work patterns. Well, let's move on to task and transaction completion times. What, what, what does that mean? And then how does it actually tell us something? Well, uh, you know, basically, how long does it take to complete a transaction? We know we're looking at workflow, um, and I used the example earlier of shipping a product. Sounds pretty simple. Well, you know, in many cases, it's more complex. You want to, if a customer places an order, you want to check the credit of that customer. You want to look at their inventory. Uh, you want to look at prior products that they purchased to ensure what they're buying is compatible. You want to look at perhaps any compliance or safety regulations with uh, with the actual shipment. Uh, who, what what technology or vendor you can use to ship it, etc. So you can appreciate there could be several steps to simply shipping a product. How long does it take to process that order? How many screens do you have to go through to process that order? Uh, and that really looks at the usability, the user interface, the workflow, is the workflow efficient? Is it intuitive? So I know after step one, step two makes sense in terms of consecutive steps that, that flow. And that impacts productivity, that impacts employee satisfaction. So I could tell you how many screens it takes to complete the transaction and how long it takes. And you can look at what's really interesting. We had one customer tell us that, uh, one of their sites uh, in Argentina was more efficient than a site in Australia. And they were completing the, the transactions more, much more quickly. So let's look into that in more detail. Why was that? Is the design the same? Are there perhaps cultural differences where employees not trained properly? Uh, perhaps the, you know, the language wasn't translated properly? And so what's really interesting is we're giving you a baseline of all this behavior. You know, when you implement our software, we're going to give you a rich set of analytics so you can look at your current reality. Uh, how how fast are the transactions being completed? And then once you go and, and uh, look to rectify through training, through design, you run the software again and you can look at the delta, the improvements in efficiency. So Yes, these transactions are completed more quickly. There are fewer steps. And that certainly helps your organization be more efficient. And it helps you with uh, customer satisfaction. Your customers are getting the, the product shipped more quickly. Uh, you know, across, you know, right across your, all the functional areas within an organization. Now, what can you tell from error messages? Well, error messages uh, are frustrating. You know, error messages, they could be system messages, they can be user error messages, uh, and just understanding that these messages are popping up and the source of the message will help you again to go in and be proactive. You know, if, if errors are occurring, and invariably they are, uh, how, how would you know? 
do you have to wait for someone to call into the help desk before you realize that you're having a problem with errors? You know, most employees really want to focus on the job at hand. They don't want to spend time online with the, the agent, the, you know, the tech technician helping them. So, uh, you know, I think by the time they're calling the help desk, you know, they've reached a level of frustration. And obviously that's, uh, you know, something you want to avoid. So what we can do is we can identify the errors. We can identify the errors by the software module. We can identify the errors by geography. And you organizations can be very proactive in rectifying those, uh, those, those errors and ensuring a better user experience. Got it. And then what do you, how do you define engagement and how do you measure it with, you know, based on the, the data software? that you have? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, you know, obviously it's a very general term, but you know, the bottom line is, are they using the software? And, you know, companies, again, are surprised. <laughs> they look at that, you know, they, they should be engaged with that software throughout the day and what's going on here. And, you know, you'll find that employees will perhaps use other applications on the side. For example, they're, they're in finance and they're just frustrated and they'll go and pop up Excel and use Excel uh, you know, to complete a task. Well, the challenge is Excel is you know, perhaps uh, you know, not, not available to you know, other employees who are part of this, this, this transaction or whatever uh, you know, workflow the employees engage with. So, uh, you want to make sure that the employees are actually using the software. Um, and especially what's really interesting with um, engagement is companies have invest a lot of resource in upgrades, digital transformation. So they're, they're migrating from, let's say, on-premise to the cloud. And you can appreciate these are, you know, quite, uh, um, you know, significant projects in terms of resources, you know, that they cost a lot of money, there's a lot of investment. And the question is, you know, post-migration, what benefits are we seeing from these new versions, right? So are my employees using the software more after the migration than before the migration? How would you know that? You know, you bring up this whole idea of engagement brings up two things that I think are really important in the modern day. The one is, you know, the idea of just underutilizing enterprise software, because if you don't have, if you buy Salesforce, but you're only using Salesforce in a minimal way, you might as well go to some cheapo, you know, CRM, if you're not really using, you know, the full, you know, uh, measure of all its services, because it's a lot more expensive than the, the cheapo version. Or if you're not using certain, you know, productivity features or, or anything, you know, you're missing out on this huge expense that you say. The second thing I think is, I would love to dig in and see what the difference is in productivity when you move from like an on-premise system that has a PC sort of fat client interface where everything's really snappy. And then you go to the cloud version where it's browser-based. And, you know, I work on both types of software all day long. And you know what? The cloud stuff just isn't as snappy, isn't as quick. The keystrokes don't respond as fast. The user interface, you know, uh, is, is, is behind, you know, some of the things. You know, like many of the things you can do in like a Microsoft Word fat client app, you know, you still right. can't do even on Office 365 or on Google Docs. And so, and then the time it takes you is longer. So it'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out. But right. now let's move on to the next section of our talk, which is like, 
what do you do with all this insight? And we came up with about five things that were really interesting. And I'd, I'd just like to run through the list and then talk about them. One was what we talked about already a little bit, which is usability improvements. You know, how do you make the software better to use? Another is uh, robotic process automation analysis. Like where are there opportunities to do some automation? Then another one was employee satisfaction. Uh, another one we just talked about, the evaluating the impact of, of, of upgrades. And then finally, designing training, you know, designing, understanding where you need to do training. Could mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about, you know, these five uh, uh, ways that, you know, getting this data about uh, how your, your users are using the software can help? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, companies migrating to the cloud, which obviously in our industry is, you know, is a priority. And the vendors are are prioritizing it, and um, our customers are prioritizing that. Um, so, uh, you know, the question is, as you said, does the software work as efficiently, as intuitively in the cloud as it did on prem? Um, and again, I you know I come back to the same question: How do you know? You know, IT will roll out a new user interface. Beautiful graphics, beautiful colors. Isn't this pretty? Well, yes, <laughs> it looks nice, but is it intuitive? Uh, is it does it make the software easier to use, more understandable? Do I, you know, do I really understand what the next step would be? And so I can, that, That's the beauty of what, what what our software does is you know we give you that before and after snapshot. So you roll out the new user interface. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you immediately whether you're getting the, the improvement in usability. Uh, the, are your employees more engaged? Are they completing the transactions more quickly? Are you have, do we have fewer errors? I mean, all these, you know, they don't, they don't, all these sort of metrics meld together to give you a full story of user experience, right? So what is user experience? It's, I want it to be intuitive. I want, I don't, I want as few steps as possible. I don't want to re, I don't want to see any errors. Um, and with RPA, robotic process automation. Uh, Let's stop here and just explain what we mean by RPA. Cause I think we're, we're a couple of enterprise software nerds and I didn't really yeah. explain it. So, so we, we, you know, from my perspective, robotic process automation covers this huge range of software the, that the, at the lowest end, it's like sort of like keyboard macros where you, you can, you know, use keyboard macros to put on top of a, a a, a system so that in one click you can do a whole bunch of stuff in a software interface. Now nobody would, you know, in, in, while in fact a lot of robotic process, you know, automation amounts to that. Nobody, none of the vendors would say that that's what they do. But frankly, that is what they do. Now at a higher level, they do much more complicated stuff where they're actually, you know, intermediating between the user, in the internal user or the external user, and then controlling large, vast you know, uh, systems underneath uh, and, and, and orchestrating large processes so that it makes makes it much simpler either right. for the customer or for the end user. That's what all of them would say they really do. But, um, you know, how does your software help, you know, figure that out? Well, what we do is we provide complete visibility into the front end processes and the tasks that lend themselves to automation. So our user analytics can be used to identify multiple automation targets. For example, the range of applications and transactions that are used in executing the most common tasks, which can be linked to automation. Tasks that are prone to human errors. 
that can be eliminated through automation. And routine tasks, well, I would say, I would call it low degree of variability, where human effort can be entirely offloaded to, to the robots. And so basically what we do is we measure the frequency of these robot executed tasks. Uh, we compare the productivity of human-driven transactions to the robotic counterparts. Uh, we, could, we, we monitor the robots as we do the humans, so we can detect errors, error conditions that are encountered by the robots and collect relevant diagnostics um, and continually mon continuously monitor the, uh, the uh, robot UI interactions. I don't wanna to get too technical here. Um, you know, so we can detect conditions that lead to failure, et cetera. Uh, so it's, it's basically, look, you're never going to fully automate these transactions. The question is which ones really lend themselves to automation because they're, they're more simplistic. They don't need the human intervention. And you know, there's a benefit to your employees. They, you know, they'll, they'll, they will therefore be spending less time uh, with routine mundane tasks and focused more so on tasks that I, I would characterize as more interesting where you, know, you really have to make decisions and, and be more engaged. Got it. Now, employee satisfaction was the next one. Yeah, we, we touched on that with, with a few of these examples. Um, people, you know, employees are satisfied when they're productive, when they're engaged, when they feel a sense of, of accomplishment and success. And so, uh, you know, if they're continually frustrated, if they can't get the job done, if they continually have to go and ask the you know, person in the next cubicle, eventually there will be people in the next cubicle, uh, or you know, chat with someone online. I can't get you know, I, I get this error. Um, you know, that impacts people's satisfaction and you know, the fulfillment in their job. You know, pretty pretty straightforward. And and again, the yeah. key factor is they're using these software systems for hours a day. Uh, you know, it's a sweet. You know, you just touched on it a little bit about usability. Um, people can be frustrated very easily. And you know, compound compound that with the you know the situation with the pandemic, um, where you don't have as access as readily to support resources, it really is an issue. Got it. And then the evaluating the impact of upgrades is is sort of like a subcase of usability improvements. You but you you do basically a before or after monitor of the upgrades, and and you've talked about that. Yeah, and it's during also. For example, you know. You know user acceptance testing. So, you know, these, these upgrades are, you know, quite comprehensive. These are big projects and uh, you, you want to be able to analyze along the way. You don't want to have to wait till you do a 10 million, $20 million upgrade for, you know, 60,000 employees. And at the end to find out that, wow, this wasn't designed properly. Uh, so with NOAA, you know, you can, you can test throughout this process. So yes, the, what you mentioned, getting the baseline before migration, comparing that to post-migration gives you sort of macro metrics. Was, was the upgrade successful? Are transactions being completed more quickly, fewer errors, um, fewer steps? Uh, how, but to get to that point, you know, it, it, it's, it's a quite intensive process throughout the migration. Got it. Now and then, and then that plays perfectly in because one of the things you might find in an upgrade is that 
maybe a system that is not being used is not being used because people need more training. And then that's the last point we were talking about is designing training. I'm assuming that you can, you know, kind of tell where the difference between a user experience where people are like, you know, where the software is just hopeless and a user experience where people just don't know where to click. <laughs> right. I, you know, fun, also fundamentally is, you know, uh, the last thing you want to do is put people in, in a five-day training class, right? You know, their their eyes glaze over, and it, it's hard to focus and concentrate for for anyone. And then compound that with doing it remotely. So, first of all, I if we're if we're designing training, I could tell you which components of the software employees are using. So you want to focus on those components. I could tell you where users are struggling where they're abandoning transactions, where they're getting the most errors, where it's taking an inordinate amount of time to complete a transaction. That's what you prioritize. So you can be very focused with the training and put someone in, in a two-day, uh, I'm sorry, a two-hour training class. It's focused on exactly what they're doing, exactly where they're seeing some challenges. Um, and it, that's very effective. And then you know, again, you you run the software post-training and see if the training had an impact. And if the training didn't have an impact, okay, now let's perhaps revisit the, the design, the design of the workflow, the design of the user interface. And so, the, you know, the, the software, uh, it, you know, this isn't a one-time analysis that you're doing. It's continuous uh, and really improve the experience, you continually improve efficiencies within in your organization. And we've uh, worked with a third party, IDC actually, to uh, come up with some very detailed return on investment of the software. You know, companies receive a payback in a matter of months. The productivity increase goes right to the bottom line um, in, it, um, in terms of the efficiency of your organization, of your employees, customer satisfaction. By the way, you have customers who are using these enterprise systems, right? So a lot of customers will use these self-serve software. They want to go in and they want to check availability of product. They want to check the status of an order. They want to look at technical information. What's their experience like? The last thing you want is one of your customers to come in and get error messages when they're looking, trying to get a technical spec of a product or to have to click around. Like, you would say, well, if someone wants to look up a product, that should take, you know, three steps. You put in the product ID, click, it should find it. If that's not happening, your customer is frustrated. So let's now wrap up by talking about, you know, the window that you have on the big picture. You know, you, you, you know, from our conversation, it's clear that you have delved into so many different aspects of you know, the enterprise software that, you know, we really work with, you know, day in and day out. What do you think the post-COVID workplace is going to look like? I think it's um, obviously going to be a hybrid environment. Um, you know, I think the, the industries overall have demonstrated that, you know, people can work productively remotely. I think they've also pointed out that there are inherent challenges in that. You know, initially I read some articles, and obviously the the story is not over, right? The the, the analysis will continue. Initially, I, you know, I read articles that companies were surprised at how effective people were working remotely, and then 
a few months after that, I saw articles that, you know, saying, well, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, there are some real challenges here. And everyone got, you know, real focused early on, but there was something certainly missing by in terms of collaboration, et cetera, and, and having people together. So I think what's gonna happen is you're gonna have a hybrid environment. People will return to the office. However, people will work remotely. And and then that, that certainly um, will focus organizations on understanding uh, how people use the, re the corporate resources, working, it, you know, on the site versus working from home. Does the software work the same? You know, can I start a project in the office and then work from home for two days and pick up where I left off with a software work and be as responsive? Um, and so, you know, real, there, there's a lot of, you know, important decisions that'll have to be made here. For example, which employees do I bring back to the office first? You know, perhaps you want to bring back the people who are having the greatest challenge working remotely. You know, so if I see teams that, um, you know, we talked about idle time, we talked about inefficiencies, we talked about error messages. Again, you can see how these metrics now apply to a you know, real life decision. I'm one, I may want to bring back the people who are struggling. Certainly perhaps my newer employees, because you know, want to look in, at, at, at their productivity. But wait a minute, you can't just bring back everyone who's struggling, who's going to support them. So perhaps you want to pair them up with what we'll call super users, people who you know, have been involved with the software for years, are pros at it, and perhaps have been on some of the committees uh, that were involved with the migration projects, perhaps people who are trainers, and pair them with the struggling users. Got it. And then, you know, so the idea is that you think that they're, the, the post-COVID workplace will be having uh, some people who are, there'll be a permanent shift to, 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 to remote work. It'll be much a bigger percentage of things uh, than, than it was uh, before this, this period. Well, I think by definition, it will be a bigger percentage. Um, you know, certainly, you know, you've seen companies allowing employees to move. So, you know, people, obviously, the, uh, you're hearing a lot of stories about Silicon Valley companies moving out. And so we're allowing employees to move to, you know, more affordable uh, locations. Uh, certainly, it's going to be a challenge having those people, you know, in an office on a regular basis. So the hybrid model, I think, will, um, we'll see that moving forward. The question is, you know, over time, you know, how that will look. Um, there, there are a lot of benefits in having people work together in terms of collaboration and, and ideas. And, and also, you know, one, one factor that you know, we didn't really discuss is the, the whole challenge of managing people. You know, when, when people work in the office, you know, if you have 10, 15 direct reports, um, you, you'll, you'll have a team meeting and you can look at people's body language and you can just see how they interact and um, you know, if someone looks a little off or, you know, distracted, you could call them, you know, aside at the end of the meeting and, you know, have a cup of coffee and, you know, see, see how they're doing. How does that work when people are remote? Um, and, and if you have that, that a large number of people who report to you, uh, how do you know who to engage with? You know, you could, so you can see who's struggling um, and perhaps, you know, spend more Got time, fo focus on those people. 
Well, managing is going to become much more data focused. And, and I mean, just like the, th the things that we used to do very intuitively may require a little bit more data. And then yeah. that brings up the second point that you wanted to make, which was that that because there's probably going to be more data, you know, that we can get, you know, based on remote uh, working uh, and uh, and other ways of collecting data. Is it possible that we're going to have more automation in, in, in pretty much in jobs right now that, that we don't? Uh, expect to have it. I mean, are we? You you said the way you said it in in, in your suggestion for this topic was that there'll be a hybrid of human and robot work. What what do you mean by that? Well, um, yeah, there's there'll be a hybrid of office and remote, and also a hybrid of human and ro robot work, which we we touched on earlier when we talked about RPA. Is you know there's a there's a huge industry now, uh, companies uh, that are deploying these these robots these bots. Um, and there's tremendous value in that. Um, and so you'll have the, the bots taking over the more mundane uh, transactions that require little human intervention, and uh, they'll be paired up with, with humans. And um, you know, we're seeing a lot of that already. Um, that, that's fairly common now. Got it. Uh, and uh, do you see, an era in which there are stuff more that, that, that even as part of using enterprise software, we use more like a, an Amazon Echo or Siri approach to it. Well, I think certain, you know, certain transactions lend themselves to that. Um, certainly voice, voice um, activated makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you see that certainly on the shop floor and, and, and other places. Um, 100%. Yeah. Got it. Well, Brian, this has been a really fascinating conversation. We've covered a huge amount of ground. We and uh, I really I really appreciate your take, spending the time here on the Designing Enterprise Platforms uh, uh, podcast of Early Adopter Research. And I hope to talk to you in the future after we've uh, uh, distilled this and, and thought about it a little bit more. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate the opportunity. Be well. Uh -huh.